I will, uh, I will try my best not to preach for 40 minutes again this week. I didn't, I get going, I don't realize I did that. And I usually don't preach that long out here at Oak Grove anyway. I think it's just the knowledge of knowing that I don't have to rush to get back there that, uh, sorry. So if anybody got excessively uncomfortable last week, I do apologize. I didn't realize I'd gone that long. I was told the first, first sermon I preached out at Broxton was about 40, 45 minutes. And I was told afterwards that Methodist preachers did not do that. So over the last three weeks, um, here and last week before at Brox and the, prior, and the week prior to that, um, we have been talking about something that we call the Jesus Creed, or that I call the Jesus Creed, uh, which, which of course I got the title, I told you that I got the title of that sermon series from a book uh, that was written back around 2000, 2004, I think anyway. And anyway, it's based, y'all remember, you all remember this, it was based on a scripture from the book of Mark. When, he, when Jesus was asked by a religious teacher, a teacher of, of the religious law, what was the greatest commandment? And I told you last week that, uh, that last week's sermon would be um, the last in that series. But obviously I left out a big portion of that scripture. Before I read that scripture um, and remind you guys, does anybody want to take a guess as to what specifically I left out? in discussing throughout those three sermons that were preached. All right. I'm going to read it to you one more time. There's no right or... Well, there is a right answer, but I don't ask it to embarrass anybody. So, yeah, in Mark uh, 12, 28 through 31, and that was the source of all of these, of all of these sermons, all of these studies we've done the last few weeks. Like I said, it, it reads this. One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard, he heard Jesus and the others debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And this is the scripture focus that we've been, that we've been, that we've been really diving into um, over the last few sermons, last few Sundays. Jesus answered him. He said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So hearing all that, I'm going to ask you guys one more time just to see if anybody spots it. Is there anything in that, in that scripture that I've talked about over these last three weeks that wasn't included in my sermons? Not a problem. All of our sermons have focused for the last three weeks on the last part of Jesus's, what Jesus said was the greatest commandments. They've all been focused on loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we really dived into that pretty deep, uh, especially last week and, and the week before over in Broxton. And, I, and I, tried, I tried to bring that all together to you guys as well. But we never talked about loving God. I'm, I'm really surprised that my, that my group here especially didn't pick up on that. But we never discussed that. We never talked about what it looks like. We talked about what it looks like to love our neighbors. That was some pretty heavy stuff. That was some pretty challenging stuff. It was to me anyway. But we never talked about what it looks like or what it means to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We did focus on, uh, on what loving our neighbor looks like. Now, that was, that, that, like I said last week, that should have punched most of us in the throat uh, when we talked about what it looks like to love your neighbor. First uh, John 3:16. I can't quote it off the top of my head, but I told you guys about that last week. Jesus laid down his life for us, and as such, we ought to lay down our lives for our neighbor. 
Y'all remember talking about that last week and what that looks like? Letting go of our pride, letting go of our ego, letting go of our selfishness, all these, all these prejudices, all these, all, all these inconveniences uh, that come cross our paths and come our way every day of our life that prevent us from loving our neighbor. It's very, very, very similar to what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strengths. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to look at a passage from the book of Psalms. Psalm 119, and we're going to be looking at 33 through 40, if y'all want to follow along with me. Psalm 119, 33 through 40. <clears throat> and I'm going to go back in a few minutes, and we're going to read this a second time. <clears throat> but while we're reading it right now, what I want y'all to try to do is try to be the author of this psalm. Don't just read these words along with me. I'm going to read them slowly. But as we're going through them, feel the words and the emotions and the heart of the author. Try to soak these into your minds and to your hearts and imagine what he must, he must have been feeling or going through at the time and how he was expressing these words and what his motivation was for, for expressing these words. So starting in 33, the psalmist writes, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for it is there that I find the light. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace that I dread, for your laws are good. How long, how I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. The word of God for the people of God. So I, I, I talked to you guys a little bit before, um, golly, probably over the last last year or so, how I've really come to love the book of Psalms. Um, I've, I've come, I've, I've encouraged you guys to, to incorporate it into your prayer lives. And, and I myself over the last, I don't know, six, nine months or so have started incorporating into my own prayer life uh, because Psalms, is, is just, number one, it's a it's a it's a historical practice with a church. And I've come to understand now why it's a historical practice, because there is so much of joy there is so much praise there's so much thanksgiving in the book of psalms and it's a it's just a wonderful way to open up to open up your prayer time with god uh it's also a very emotional book you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna and, and i and i think i've told you before psalms one of the reasons i love it among among the ones i just listed is it's hands down probably as far as i'm concerned the most honest book of the bible what do you mean by most honest? I mean, when you read people who are writing these psalms, and a lot of them are, are, are attributed to David, you feel a lot of emotion. The authors of the books of, books of psalms, book of psalms, they don't hold back. Um, 
They were written, I told you guys last week that, that we're all imperfect people. I, I, I especially am an imperfect person. The Psalms were written by imperfect people who knew that they were imperfect. People who struggle with life and people who struggle with God. People who struggle with God and they admit it and they write it down. And we've had these verses in these books for centuries. People who even have the boldness to question God. All of us have done that at some point, but it's so hard to admit. I love Psalms. It's hands down the most honest book in the Bible. So what we got in today's Psalm, though, is a wonderful, wonderful um, Psalm of praise, first of all. But it also shows us a person who is deeply in love with God. Psalm 119 is a very long Psalm. In these verses that we've got here, 33 through 40, however, those are the ones I want to focus on because it paints a really great picture of what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It shows a person who loves God, but it also shows a person who is seeking very hard for God's help in living that love out. There's one word that he mentions in there. That, that really stands out to me. Besides heart, he does, he does mention, um, touch my heart a couple times. And that word is obedience. Obedience. And those, that's, that's the ones that I want to focus on today, or the one. He has a desire because he loves God so much. Now understand this. Let me... Let me let me try my best to explain this. He wants to obey God because he loves God. He wants to obey because he loves God. His love for God is what pushes him or prompts him towards obedience to God. Obedience and submission, those two words kind of go hand in hand. It's not because God is forcing him to. It's not because he... He's worried that, that, that somebody's going to think bad of him if he's, not, if he's not doing certain things and not doing certain things. His motivation for being obedient and being submissive is love. This is an author who loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and in response has that desire to be obedient to God's laws. Read the, read the words of how he loves God's laws. He loves his precepts. He has a desire to obey, to follow these laws, to be submissive to God. Now, let's just be honest about it. These words are not very uncomfortable, comfortable or inviting to us, are they? Obedience, submission. We have a natural tendency a lot of times to recoil from these words. We don't like the idea of somebody having control over us. I would argue that especially as Americans, this tends to rub us the wrong way because we're told a lot of times in our culture from childhood that the main purpose of our life is to be independent, to be individuals. Individuality is the bane of the existence of the church today. And I would like to expound a little bit on this, but, but for time, I may preach about it later. But we have gone to the point where we love this idea of individualism. I get to be my own person. Nobody gets to control me. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. That was never the intent of the church. And even though it may be part of our dominant culture, 
it was never intended to be a part of the church culture. We are not a people. We have different personalities, sure. But at the end of the day, we are not a people who are called towards individualism and doing what I want to do, being what I want to be. We were called to be a community of believers who live out this idea of loving God and loving others with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want to know what's crumbling the church today, and I'm not just talking about the local church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. In our culture, start right there. Is we have developed churches and we have developed bodies of Christ that are full of individuals. People who want to do what they want to do. People who come to church for the, for the purpose of being served and what I can get out of it. What I like, what my preferences are, this, this, this. Never intended to be that way. We have forgotten or we're not taught the ideas of obedience and the ideas of being submissive to God. And believe it or not, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that as much as I would like to, but I want to challenge you to do something based on what I just talked about there. I want you, not now, but in your free time, and I hope that you'll remember to do this. I want you to look at the book of Acts. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, the last few verses in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to look at the last few verses in Acts chapter 4. And I want you to look at what the church looked like in those two examples, the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4. What that church looked like today, then, and what church as we know it today looks like. I want you to compare those two and ask yourselves, does the overall church culture that I know today, or in the last several decades anyway, does it look like that church that I read about in Acts 2 and 4? And if we're honest with that, it's an obvious answer. It does not. Because we become individuals. And it was never meant to be that way. So the author of Psalm 119 shows us a person that has no desire but to love God, to serve God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength through that obedience and through that submission to God and to his perfect will. To God and to his perfect will. This is not a man who is seeking to live life on his own terms. This is a person who is seeking to live life on God's terms. Again, not because it's a duty, but because it is, it is a response to that love. As Christians, it's a response to that love that Christ poured out for us on the cross. How do we respond to that? By loving God. How do we, how do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We learn we learned to have joy in that obedience. We learn to have joy in that obedience. Has anybody experienced that joy in obedience today? That submission to God? I do. When I'm able to do it. <laughs> I'm not saying it's easy all the time. But when I'm able to do that, when I'm able to submit to God and when I'm able to respond to his love through obedience to his written word or whatever, I experience that joy. I don't want more of Jerry today. I don't want more of me. I want more of God because I know what God has my best in his mind. God's not out to get me. If anybody's ever preached that to you, they're wrong. God's not out to get me. It's, it's precisely why God tells us His will. 
because he knows the danger of me trying to live life on my terms. He knows the danger of us living life on our terms. We tend to sin. So God gives us his will. And most of us know what his will is most of the time. I said I was going to reread it. I'm not going to reread it. But I encourage you guys to because I think if, if, you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do it again, you can truly feel what, this man, what the author here is, is, uh, is expressing. I love preaching about loving our neighbors, folks. I love it. I probably preach about love more than, more than anything in the world, more than any other subject. Love or some variation of love because primarily I think it's so vitally important and it's an area where I myself and in my opinion, most of us greatly, greatly fall short. So I love preaching on it. I love preaching on topics like forgiveness and I love preaching on topics like reconciliation and, and caring for the poor and the marginalized. I love preaching from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Love it. But I also love preaching on repentance. And I love preaching on obedience. And I love preaching on submission and learning through the grace of God, through the work of God, through the Holy Spirit, how to go about doing that. And I don't preach this stuff because I'm trying to be harsh or judgmental with you guys. I'm not. Trust me, there are plenty of preachers out there who are willing to take on that role. I ain't one of them. But I know what happens and I know what can happen when we learn what obedience is and what submission is and, and, and why we are drawn into those ideas out of love for God, out of love for Christ. And I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen the fruit of what these ideas can produce. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my wife's life. I've seen it in the life of many, many, many other people. Every time we're able to give up our wills for God's will, something beautiful happens. We love to hang on to junk. We love to, we love to hang on to junk in our lives. We love to hang on to sin in our lives a lot of time, whatever that may be, and everybody's a little bit different. But on the other end of that is this beautiful relationship with God, and there's this beautiful release. It is no secret to you guys that I dealt with a substance abuse problem for two decades. Two decades. I don't, I don't, it ain't something I wear on my sleeve all the time, but I don't mind talking about it either. I have nobody to thank but God for release from that. I will never take credit for that. That was all God. There was some degree of response by myself, of course. What I'm getting at here today, though, in reminding you of that, is it's not, it's not the pills. It's not the fact that I don't pop pills. It's not the fact that I don't drink a beer anymore or that I, or that I deal with the repercussions of those things. That stuff was easy. That's the easy part. What's amazing to me is the transformation of the heart that occurred and has been occurring since then. That's the cool stuff. That's what happens when we learn to be obedient. Thank you, Chris. When we learn to be obedient and submissive, when we learn to let go of whatever it is that's challenging us. And all, again, all of us got sin. Sandy, I tell you, I was, I was pretty angry seven, eight years ago. Not that I haven't 
completely given that up to do a great deal, great deal I have. And there's other things, and I can see it, I can see it myself, and I see it in other people. But that's the transformation that occurs when we learn to do that. Y'all don't need a preacher. Y'all don't need me to tell you areas of where you're struggling with. Most of us, most of, most of you, all of you probably know areas that you struggle with. Y'all don't need me pointing that stuff out to you. A lot of people out there are doing, doing things they know they shouldn't do. A lot of people are thinking things they know that they shouldn't be thinking. A lot of people are experiencing emotions that they know they shouldn't be experiencing. And again, we like to hold on to that because that's our will a lot of times. But what we need to understand again is that God is not out to hurt us. So when we talk about obedience, we talk about submission, when God reveals to us His will, He's not doing this because He wants to harm us. And I know there are a lot of harsh preachers out there that like to beat people up over their sin. Plenty of them. The fact is, we all have it. God gives us His will. Most of us know that. We know what God... Y'all don't need me telling you what God's will is for the most part. You know, if you're lying, cheating, stealing. <laughs> Loving God equals obedience and submission to God. But it's only because we love Christ first. It is that response. It is that response that prompts us to be obedient to Him, to, be, to learn to be submissive to Him. And it's not easy. It's not easy all the time. And this is the hard stuff. This is, remember, loving your neighbor is hard, isn't it? We talked about that for three weeks. It's hard to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. It's difficult. Learning to let go. Learning to let go. And as we move into communion today, I told you I wasn't going to preach long. I want to remind you of another story in the Bible. Another story in the Bible where somebody we know very well also struggled with his own self-will and he also struggled with obedience to God. There's a lot of people like that in the Bible. The one I'm talking about is Jesus. There was a time when Jesus sought his own will. Y'all know that? There was a time when Jesus struggled. There was a time when Jesus didn't maybe want to follow the will of God. He struggled in his heart with this thing. It was right before his crucifixion or right before his arrest. Jesus himself in Luke 22, verse 42, prayed this the night before he was arrested. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. We forget that Jesus was, all, was fully God, but that he was also fully human. Here's what Jesus being fully human looks like. He knew God's will, but he struggled with it. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And then he followed it up with this. Yet not my will, 
but your will be done. Even Christ had a moment of weakness. Even Christ had a moment of wrestling with God. But at the end of the day, he submitted to that will. And we all know what happened afterwards. We are here because of it.